Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter uh, 5, chapter 5, and we're going to take up at verse 8 and move fairly quickly through this section because we did um, spend some time in it last week. As you're praying and while, as you're turning, help me to, to pray uh, for some good help on Wednesday nights. Jonathan was sharing with me today that our Wednesday night's children department is growing uh, to the point that the, the workers that are back there can't handle it by themselves. Uh, last Wednesday night, we had 18 kids in this first room over here, and then down the hall, 10 more kids in one of the rooms. And in the back, we had all the teenagers that were back there, and they're filling that room up. And then upstairs in the 2240 room, they had 33 young adults in their class last week. So can you say praise the Lord? And that's the reason that our kids department is starting to grow because the young adults are coming and they have kids. And so they're bringing their kids. So it's, it's been a long time coming, but it is coming. Praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, chapter five, beginning at verse eight, it says, if you see oppression of the poor and perversion of justice and righteousness in the province, don't be astonished at the situation because one official protects another official and the higher officials protect them. The profit from the land is taken by all and the king is served by the field. The one who loves money is never satisfied with money. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This is futile. When good things increase, the ones who consume them multiply. What then is the profit of the owner except to gaze at them with his eyes? The sleep of the worker is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. Now, we talked a little bit about that last week, about how that, you, you know, the people who, are, who, who just are constantly on this... Uh, on this journey to obtain things and money, that there comes a point when they don't even really enjoy it any longer. It's, it's more uh, about the journey than it is the riches. Because in reality, uh, as the more you get, the more people come around you and want what you have. And, you know, they've, they've got a handout, you know, can you, can you help me here and can you help me there? You remember we talked about those who win the lottery, the first thing they need to do is get them a good financial advisor and a good lawyer because you're going to have cousins come out of the woodwork because when they find out what you have, they're going to they're come and want it. And look at verse 12, the sleep of the worker is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. Now, what he's talking about here is the satisfaction that comes from having worked hard. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. I spend a lot of time in my office working. I read a lot. I write a lot. I, I'm doing that kind of work. There's nothing for me that is more satisfying sometimes than to just put the books down and to put the computer aside and go outside and power wash something, you know, or, or cut a tree down, or, or mow the grass, or, or lift something. There's something that is built into us 
that causes us to feel a sense of satisfaction when we have given a good day's labor and when we have worked hard. It's satisfying and it causes us to rest well. The other day we had done some work around and, and I was tired and, and about 10 o'clock or so, I, I told my wife, I said, I'm going to go on to bed. I said, I'm feeling a little tired. And she said, it's a little early. I said, yeah, but I'm, I feel like I could sleep and rest. And so I'm going to go on to bed. So I went to bed about 10 o'clock and I, I went to sleep. I mean, I don't even remember going to sleep. I don't know if you had a night like that. I don't even remember it. I didn't even get to play golf in my mind that night. I just sat down on the side of the bed and I was gone. And I did not wake up at all until seven o'clock the next morning. And I thought, I, I just slept nine hours without getting up. I never do that. I, I never do that. But boy, when I got up, I felt good. Life was good. I mean, I, I, it's like, man, I, it, you know, I feel good. And so that's really what he's talking about here. He said, the sleep of one who works is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. Why do you think that is? Why do you think people who have a lot can't rest well? It's because probably, I'm sorry? Yes, I'm afraid somebody else is going to get it. Or afraid somebody else is going to get the next big break. Always worrying about, you know, what am I going to do next? You know, how am I going to, how am I going to top this? How, how, you know, uh, and it's not just about money, but churches as well. <laughs> I was having a conversation with a young pastor here not long ago, and he was talking about all these cool things that they were doing to draw crowds. He said, well, we had this many come to this and this many to come to this. I said, listen, I'm not against, about e- I'm not against events. And I'm not against having some big things every now and then. We do that. I said, but remember this. I said, remember this old man told you that whatever you attract them with is what you will have to keep feeding them if you want them to stay. So if you bring in the big names and if you put out the big bucks to bring in the big dollar guys, you're going to have to do that from here on out. If you give away a bunch of bicycles and and, and if you give away a bunch of TVs and all that kind of I said, that's okay. Knock yourself out. But if you start that, you're going to have to keep doing that. I said, in my humble opinion, I said, I think you need to attract them with the things of the Spirit, with the things of the Word, with the things of God. And that way, you'll never run out of fresh ideas of what to pour into people. And so, and, and, and so, you know, there's always a bigger crowd. There's always a, another thing. There's, a, there's always a better way. And it, and, it, and it translates into churches as well. Uh, you know, you can have the biggest church in town. I mean, they sell that stuff. You know, if you'll just use our sermon outlines and if you'll just use our uh, graphics and if you'll just this, this, and this. And, I, and I'm always, you know, it, it just kind of makes me laugh a little bit because we have gotten so accustomed to hearing about church growth that we don't talk about Jesus nearly as much as we should. But everywhere Jesus was involved, there were big crowds. Every time Jesus was mentioned, people were intrigued by Jesus and what he could do. So I don't know. I may be just a little old-fashioned or whatever, but I just think give them Jesus. Because there's nothing that this world has that can compete 
with the goodness of Jesus Christ. And so there are always the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. There is a sickening tragedy that I've seen under the sun that is wealth kept by its owner to his harm. Now think about that. Think about, and, and, and you don't have to answer this out loud, but if God has blessed you with a lot of resources, I can pretty well tell you that God is not interested in you holding on to all those resources. He's not. Now, and, and I have people who disagree with me about this. I do believe that God expects you to use wisdom and to set aside money for your retirement so that you can be taken care of. But there comes a point when you don't need as much as you have. You'll never use it. And what you will find yourself doing is when you die and your stuff is left behind, people are going to come take what you worked hard to gain and, and they're going to do whatever they want to do with it. And the sad part about it is, is that I know parents that worked hard their whole lives and built up a nest egg and then left large sums of money to children that had no business having it. They didn't know what to do with it. And sometimes they put it in their arms and sometimes they put it in junk and all the money that God put into your hand to use for the glory of God is all of a sudden gone and not useful to the kingdom anymore. So what I would recommend that you do is that you sit down with a financial advisor and that you say, okay, look, this is probably realistic how much money, realistically, this is the amount of money that I probably need to cover my lifespan. I'd like to give my kids a little bit of money, but I don't, I don't want them to have so much that they don't feel the need to work themselves. I like to give them, but then I would like to take the rest of the money that I have and I would like to put it into ministry. I would like to put it into the ground so that it can bear fruit in the kingdom of God and so that I am laying up treasures in heaven. Now listen, if you don't do that, when you die, that money that you have is simply going to go away, decay, and die. But if you seed that money into the kingdom, if you do that while you're alive, then guess what? When you get into eternity, that will be building blessing in your name. And it would, you will be laying up treasures in heaven rather than just letting it go to nothing. Now, when people hear me say that, they, they think I've lost my mind. But I, I don't think I have lost my mind. I think we can find places in Scripture, for instance, in the New Testament, where the man just wanted to build more and more barns to put all of his stuff in. And the Lord said, tonight, you're going to give account with your life. And he built all these barns to contain his riches. And then when he died, all of his riches died as well in the ground. So, so what, what he's saying here is he's saying, it's a sickening tragedy that I've seen when wealth is kept by its owner to his harm. Now he goes on and he says that, that wealth get, gets lost in a bad venture. So, and then when you do father a son or when you, you need uh, additional resources, you're empty handed. 
as he came from his mother's womb, so he will go again naked as he came. He will take nothing for his efforts that he can carry in his hands. And this too is a sickening tragedy. Exactly as he comes, so he will go. So what does the one gain who struggles for the win? What is more, he eats in darkness all his days with much sorrow, sickness, and anger. Verse 18, here is what I've seen to be good. It is appropriate to eat, drink, and experience good in all the labor one does under the sun during the few days of his life God has given him because that is his reward. Did you see that phrase, under the sun? He's talking about whatever God has blessed you with under the sun, enjoy that. Be blessed by that. There's nothing wrong with that. It, this is a gift of God. For he does not often consider the days of his life because God, listen to this, God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. So when you find yourself busy on behalf of the kingdom of God and busy on behalf of those things that God has called you to do, you're not going to sit around and worry about stuff that happens in life because you're enjoying the blessings of God. I, I haven't said it a whole lot lately, but we built this church around a, a mentality of expectation. Expect the best all the time. Expect the best. We need to look at our circumstances in such a way that we're expecting the Lord to turn this thing around and to move this thing in a positive direction, expecting the best. He's saying it, it is good. And when, you, when you're involved in kingdom work and when you're involved in prayer and you're involved in intercession and you're involved in your place of employment, preaching, teaching, instructing those who need to know about Christ, when you're involved in those kinds of things, you don't sit around and worry about what the world is coming to. You don't worry about it because you know by revelation what the world is coming to. It's coming to an end when Jesus Christ is going to come again. It's going to come in the eastern sky. We're going to hear the sound of a trump, the trump of God. He's going to appear. We, those who, who died first, they're going to get up out of the graves. And we who are alive and remain, we're going to be forever caught up in eternity with him in Jesus Christ. We know that's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to go by way of the grave or by way of the rapture, but I really don't care. Because either way, I know that I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. So I don't worry about it. I, I, you know, I guess that's one trait, characteristic, that I got from my mother, and I'm thankful for that. I love my dad. He was a great man of God, but he was the biggest worry wart I've ever known. Worried about everything. He just constantly, his mind was on this and that and whatever. And, 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 and you know, I, I remember I had to tell him one day, I said, Dad, please do not take your blood pressure one more time today. If you want to do it tomorrow, fine. But it doesn't matter. You're either going to live or die, one or the other. But stop taking your blood pressure. He just worry about it all the time. If his eye hurt, I mean, my blood pressure must be high. Worried all the time. My mom, she worried about nothing. She just say, God's got it. It's no big deal. But mom, what do you think of that? It's okay. God's in control. 
So, well, I don't know if we can do this or not. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I mean, my mom was just one of the most positive, faith-filled people that I ever knew. And even when she got all under the influence of the Alzheimer's, she still, I mean, she'd get up in the mornings, she'd brush her hair, she'd fix herself up, she'd put her makeup on. Now, it didn't look real good. So that's a few days she looked like Santa Claus. Sorry, Mom, but you know I'm telling the truth here. But it, it, the disease could not steal her spirit. She'd get up in the morning. She always wanted her hair combed. She always wanted her makeup on. She always wanted her purse. Even if she's just going down the hall to the bathroom, she wanted her purse with her. She had this, this expectation that good things were going to happen. And I hope, and I asked the Lord one time, I said, Lord, if you'll help me, I'd rather be like my mom in that way than to be like my dad. And he said, well, I'll let you. You just have to develop that in your personality. It's already there. You just have to make the proper choices. And so I, you know, I, I've tried to train myself in, in this concept of I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm not going to worry. Now, I'm not saying I've always been perfect at that. But I've gotten to the place pretty much in my life where I can say, well, God's got this. Because if God doesn't have this, I can't do anything about it anyway. If God can't change it, I can't. So I'm going to trust God to do this. It's a gift of God. For he doesn't often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. And the joy of my heart is to be about the Father's business. Chapter 6. Here's a tragedy I've observed under the sun and it weighs heavily on humanity. God gives a man riches, wealth, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all he desires for himself, but God does not allow him to enjoy them. Now, he had just said in the previous chapter, if God gives you a blessing and it comes from him and it is a gift from God, take it, receive it, enjoy it, be blessed by it. But now he's also saying that there are people who are blessed. It rains on the just and the unjust, right? That's what scripture says. So there are people who are outside of relationship with the Lord who are blessed financially, but they can't make headway. They can't enjoy it because God does not allow him to enjoy it. Instead, he says, a stranger will enjoy it. And this is futile, and it's a sickening tragedy. A man may father a hundred children. Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> and may live many years, no matter how long he lives, if he is not satisfied by good things and does not have a proper burial, I say, listen to this, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he is. You hear that? Why? Verse 4, for he comes in futility and he goes in darkness and his name is shrouded in darkness. Though a stillborn child does not see the sun and is not conscious, it has more rest than he does. And if he lives a thousand years twice, but does, 
<laughs> Somebody just said, oh gosh. <laughs> but does not experience happiness, do not both go to the same place. Now, you can see obviously what he's talking about here. He's saying, hey, I would rather be the stillborn child, the child that never had the opportunity to even experience the light of day, lived in the mother's womb, but died before having the opportunity to live life to the full. He said, I would rather be that child than to be somebody who lived 2,000 years and fathered 100 children, but was miserable every day of their life. Anybody know anybody like that? So I don't know anybody that's lived 2,000 years, but I know the miserable people. I mean, you know people like that. I mean, you get around them and you feel like you need to go take a bath when you've finished, you know, talking because they're just negative. Everything's negative. Everything's miserable. Everything is down. It's just, you know, it's like you just kind of want to reach out and touch them somehow. You want to look for that button on them that puts them in reverse or whatever. I mean, we know people like that. He said, I don't want to be like that. I, he said, people like that are miserable. I would much rather be like the stillborn child who never saw the light of day than to be someone who had all of these material heirs, sons, fathered a hundred children, but was miserable. I got to tell you, if I fathered a hundred children, I'd be miserable too. I just don't, I don't mind telling you that right there. All man's labor, verse seven, all man's labor is for his stomach, yet the appetite is never satisfied. Isn't that true? It's what we were talking about the other day. The appetite is never satisfied. You set a goal, you reach the goal, and what do you do? Do you sit back and enjoy it? Most of the time, not. Most of the time, you have another benchmark that you've already set because you, you don't want to stay there. You, you, it, it's like I was telling you about the, uh, the child care center. God has been so good to us. I mean, I, you know, when I asked the Lord to help us, I believed he would, but I, I have to, you know, I'm not sure I had that much faith. Because, you know, he just helped us to get where we needed to be very quickly. And not long ago, Jonathan was just spazzing out about it. You know, I need to open another classroom. I need to do this. need to do this. need to. I said, why don't you just sit back and enjoy it? He said, what? I said, the bills are being paid. I said, you know, we're, we're able to save money. We just put, <laughs> we just put a $1,500 magnetic lock on the door today. Because we needed it so that the parents could come and punch code in on the door and they could go in and out. But then when the door comes and the magnet locks, nobody can get in and out. And some of the parents had, can, had, had expressed some concern. And, so, and, and we had some alarms on the door and that kind of thing. Uh, but this is definitely a step in the right direction. We just write a check and pay for it. You know, it's not, we don't have to, we don't have to add, we don't have to take up an offering. We don't have to come around and say, hey, we need to get, we just, just write the check and pay for it. I said, just relax. God will increase us as we need to be increased. 
And yesterday we had some, excuse me, two days ago, had a lady call and she said, I need child care. Came in, had a four-year-old and said, I want to start as soon as possible. Jonathan said, well, I can't take your child until we have the immunization records and all that. She said, oh, that may be a few days. She said, okay, I got to get them from my other doctor from another town. We just moved here, blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, when you get it, you know, come, we'll, we'll get it all set up. She came in the next day with the immunization records. She went home, called the doctor and said, I got to have them overnight. And they faxed them to her and she brought them in, put the kid in the daycare full time. And then Monday, we've got a 14-month-old that's getting ready to start. And I just kind of walked by today and I said, see what relaxing does for you, son. So when you just trust the Lord and believe, then God orders the steps of the righteous men and women of God. Our steps are ordered. We don't have to worry. Now, there have been several times Erlene will come in and say, well, the money's not good this week. Well, praise the Lord. I mean, I don't know what you want me to do about it. You know, it's, got, it's like those prosperity preachers say all the time, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. So send the bill to God. I don't know what you, I don't know what you want me to do. And, to, and somehow for six years, we've paid every bill we've ever had. And we've always had more than enough. I don't understand it. I don't, I don't know where it comes from. There are times it comes from places that I don't know where it comes from. But it always comes in. So praise the Lord. So what I'm saying here is, is that while God's blessing and when God's blessing, let's just enjoy it. Let's, let's just relax in him. Let's just, let's just take the best of what God has for us. Amen. A hundred children. Who would want to father a hundred children? Verse 8. What advantage then does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage is there for the poor person who knows how to conduct himself before others? Better what the eyes see than wondering desire. Anybody have King James? Anybody got it? That'll work. Read verse 9. Okay. Anybody have a different version? Yeah. Anybody got New Living Translation? Anybody have ESV? Anybody have anything? Anybody bring a Bible? What version you got? King James? What do you have? What version is that? Look on the outside, on the spine. New Living Translation. All right. What do you have, Sharon? That's a good one. Go ahead. Read it. Verse 9. Okay. Better what the eye sees than the roaring of the appetite. This too is meaningless of chasing after the wind. Good deal. Give me one word that describes what this verse is talking about. 
Let's see if you can nail it. One word. Anybody? Anybody? Appetite. Somebody else? What? Sight. Come on. Anybody else? That's the word right there. That's the one that I would choose. All these others are good and they're fitting. I think what he's teaching us here is that we need to learn how to be content with where we are at the moment. Always expecting greater things because that's just the way God works. But content with where we are and what we have until God moves us to a new level. Contentment. And yet we see so little of that in our world today. We're, we're so discontent with the way that the world is. We're so discontent with our financial situation. We're so discontent with our job and our employment. We've got one young lady in here that's working for us, and, and, and I love seeing her every day because she comes in the door by the office, and she's always smiling, and she's always uh, perky, and, you know, she's always kind of... And, and, and I was just noticing, I just actually accidentally wondered on it, on her Facebook page, one day she posted, she said... I just absolutely love working with these kids at the Orchard Child Care Center. She said, I think I want to do it for the rest of my life. And I thought, that, that's great. That's great. You know, she could have been saying, she could have said something like, well, you know, I'm a child care worker, but one of these days I'm going to be the president of Chase Bank. I, one of these days I'm going to be whatever, you know, but I am perfectly happy with my station in life and where God has me, and I'm going to give the very best that I have to offer. I'm loving it, and I could do this for the rest of my life. That's right. People, all the time people come up to me and they say, I can't believe you stayed. I can't believe you're still here. Well, where else would I be? This is where God put me. I'm content with where God has me. I'm excited about what God is doing. And so you just, you find this place of contentment. Now, there are things that bother us and there are things that we have to deal with from time to time. But overall, our mindset should be, I couldn't be any happier that with anything than, other than what God has for my life. And, and that's what he's saying. He said, better what the eyes see than wandering desire. Better what the eyes see than wandering desire. We were somewhere the other day, and we were walking through a parking lot, and my wife kind of stopped, and I thought, what is she doing? I turned around and looked, and she said, I like that Lincoln. I mean, she's sitting there looking at that Lincoln. She said, I like that Lincoln. And I looked at her, and I said, you mean the Toyota? She said, that's not a Lincoln? I said, no, it very clearly says right here, it's a Toyota. 
She said, well, I still like it and it should be a Lincoln. <laughs> you know, contentment. What the eyes see than wondering desire. Verse, verse 10. Whatever exists was given its name long ago and it is known what man is. But he is not able to contend with the one stronger than he. Now in my Bible, the one is capitalized. So it's a reference to the creator. For when there are many words, they increase futility. So what is the advantage for man? For who knows what is good for man in life in the few days of his futile life that he spends like a shadow? Who can tell man what will happen after him under the sun? Well, we know who can. His name is Jehovah, creator God. He is able. And that's what he's saying in verse 6. He says, whatever exists was given its name long ago. Well, what does that mean? That means the one who sees the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end, God has already put the plan in place. He has already created all the pieces. And he's putting the different puzzles in place. So how does God do that? Well, he does it based on foreknowledge. You and I don't have foreknowledge. You and I only gain knowledge after the fact. Now, there are times that God will give us an inkling of what is to come. It's like the two years prior to me coming here when he described very clearly what the church would look like that I would pastor. He gave me an idea, but he didn't spell out all the details. I, I didn't know how that was going to flesh out. I didn't know how it was going to all come together. I had, I, I had a direction. I had an inclination. But it was not until I got here and started seeing these things begin to be put into place and the puzzle pieces together. And those puzzle pieces are still coming together. I had a conversation with somebody just this week that came and I said, I said, why are you here? I just, you know, I, why are you here? The Lord sent us here, pastor, for you. The Lord sent us here for you. They didn't know that I've been praying for at least two years, at least, for somebody who could come and help me manage these facilities. Doing stupid little jobs that have to be done. Piddly little things that, you, you know, you don't want to pay somebody necessarily to come do it. But just somebody who has the ability to do it. And this family shows up and says to me, I work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. But I'm completely off on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Whatever you need done, I'm here. I'm available. Now, they didn't know that. And so when I said, what are you doing here? Why are you here? I, when they first came, they came, of course, I knew them before they got here. But I said, listen, there are 17 Church of God congregations in Louisville. Go visit some of them. I mean, you may like them better. We're weird. 
I mean, we, you know, we sing contemporary music. We wear jeans to church. I, I rarely wear a tie and a jacket, although I do know how to do that when I need to. But we're, we're just, we're not your average run-of-the-mill Church of God, classical, Pentecostal kind of people. You might want to go down there. They said, well, that would be futile. We don't need to go visit. Because the Lord told us to come here. And we're here. So why are you here? We're here for you. Now, God puts these kinds of things together for us. And, and, and the, the, the knowledge, he has foreknowledge. He knows what you need. The scripture says he knows what you need before you even ask. But he requires you to ask anyway. But he already knows. He knows what you need. And he has it ready to release to you as you need it and when you need it. Whatever exists was given its name long ago. And it is known what man is. But he is not able to contend with the one stronger than he. He's doing all this. And if we're not careful, we'll get into a war of words with God like Job did. And start saying, well, who are you, God, to do this? And how, 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 God, would you do this? And why this and why that? And finally, God just kind of gives him a spiritual smack in the face and says, hey, listen. Don't be talking to me like that. I'm God. I know what's going on here. Where were you when I framed the worlds? Where were you when I did this? Where were you? When I did that, where were you when I spoke this into existence? So don't be giving me a hard time. I know. I saw the beginning from the end. I created the one who was and is and is yet to come, still revealing myself to mankind. And so who are we to contend with God? Who are we to argue with him? Who are we to fuss with him when God, God already has it in control. Our job is to come into line with the will of God in heaven. When you pray, pray, Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Boy, don't let me start preaching right now because I only got three minutes left. I'll save some of that for Sunday. But that's really what prayer is. It's about bringing the kingdom of God and releasing it into this world. It's about releasing what God has already foreordained for his people. For who knows what is good for man in life in the few days of his futile life that he spends like a shadow. And who can tell man what will happen after him under the sun. You know, our, our deal is, is that we're born, we're raised in a family, we're raised in a nation, we're raised in a tradition, we're learning, we're trying, even as small children, we start asking them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you want to be a fireman? Do you want to be a doctor? 
Jovi wants to be Doc McStuffins. That's all, that's all she wants to be. And Harper just wants to be her assistant. You should have seen me yesterday. I came home, and I, I fell the other day in that dumb dumpster that was out there. And I, I, I scraped myself up pretty good. And, and I had some, you know, boo-boos is the medical term on my legs. And, and Jovi and Harper decided that I needed to have some treatment done. And so they went and got the box of Hello Kitty uh, Band-Aids. And I think I counted six or seven of them, and then they took a picture. We posted it on Facebook. And I really looked the part. I had Band-Aids all over me. They were taking care of me. You know, as a young, what do you want to be? When people ask me what I wanted to be, I didn't have a clue. I just knew I did not want to be a pastor. I knew that. I'm not going to be a pastor. And so I'm, I, here I am. But you know, the reality is, is that God already knows and he directs our steps through life to become what he wants us to be. You didn't already arrive. How many of you know that? You, you didn't already arrive. You're not already all that. I don't care how old you are. You can be 124 and sitting in this room. You ain't all that you're going to be because you are becoming and, when, and we're never going to stop becoming. Because even on the other side in eternity, we're going to still be coming all that God intends for us to be. Well, that makes me want to go to heaven. How about you? Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you for the power that it holds. And thank you for the wisdom that it provides. And I'm thankful tonight. That we don't have to just live for what happens under the sun. That there is a new covenant that we have because of Jesus Christ. We have hope in this life right now. Your word says, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. I don't have a miserable bone in my body. Because my hope is fixed on you. So thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in us, through us, and for us. I give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.